Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 Continuing reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, Mother Nidra gave class on text 72. So today we'll start reading chapter, Canto 4, chapter 8, and we'll start with 73 and we'll read the purport to 77. So chapter 8, text 73. And the verse will recite with the purport this year, 77. Vitiyam chatata masam shaste shaste rbako dine 
Rina pranadi vishirnai kritano vyarchayam vibhum. Translation In the second month, Juva Maharaj ate only every six days, and for his edibles, he took dry grass and leaves. Thus, he continued his worship. In the third month, he drank water only every nine days. Thus, he remained completely entranced in worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was absorbed by selected verses. In the fourth month, Dhruva Maharaj became a complete master of the breathing exercise, and thus he inhaled air only every twelfth day. In this way, he became completely fixed in his position and worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Panchame Masyanu Prapte Jita Swaso Niripat Maja Yayam Brahma Padaikena Tastaus Tanurivachalaha. By the fifth month, Maharaj Dhruva, the son of the king, had controlled his breathing so perfectly that he was able to stand on only one leg, just as a column stands without motion and concentrate his mind fully on Parabrahman. Uh, text 77. Sarvato mana akrishya Sarvato mana akrishya Sarvata, in all respects, manaha, mind, akrishya, concentrating, vridi, in the heart, bhuta indriya ashayam, Resting place of the senses and the objects of the senses, Dhyaya meditating, Bhagavata of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Rupam form, Na Adakshi did not see, Kimchana anything, Aparam else. The Prabhupada's translation and purport. He completely controlled his senses and their objects, and in this way he fixed his mind without diversion to anything else. Upon the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Hmm. Report. The yogic principles of meditation are clearly explained here. One has to fix one's mind upon the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead without diversion to any other objective. It is not that one can meditate or concentrate on an impersonal objective. To try to do so is simply a waste of time, for it is unnecessarily troublesome, as explained in Bhagavad Gita. Translation. 
He completely controlled his senses and their objects, and in this way, he fixed his mind without diversion to anything else on the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadati Swapadantikam Bandeham Sigurosh Yuta Padakamalam Sri Gurum Vaishnavam Scha Shirupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shiradha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamstra Namam Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swaminiti Namine Namaste Sarisvati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvisesha Shunya Vadi Pasyatya Deshatarine Panchakal Patarubhyascha Kripasindavyevacha Atitanam Pavini Bhyo Vaishnavi Bhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitya Nanda Shri Advaita Gadarhar Shiva Shadi Gaura Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangum Langaite Girim Yakripata Mahamande Shri Kurum Dinatarinam So by the grace of Sri Guru, Sri the Vaishnavas, Sri Gauranga, um, with their permission, uh, will render the service of sharing some reflections on these beautiful verses of the Bhagavatam. So in these verses, we hear of Dhruva's severe austerities and he arrived at Madhavan, took his bath in the river, and observed fasting. So if one were to, you know, if a person that never opened up the Gita or Bhagavatam, and they opened up to text 70 of the fourth canto, uh, describing this personality, Dhruva Maharaj, and if they only read the selection of verses, one would say, wow, this practice, this discipline of yoga um, seems exactly what Arjuna is saying, unendurable. And how does Arjuna say that unendurable and impractical, I believe, in the sixth chapter. Arjuna actually hears a description of the yoga system from Krishna. And he says, I, I'm, this is beyond my capacity. And then what to say of these details, not just sitting up straight and living in a solitary place, controlling the mind and senses, free from any mundane social interactions, um, you know, eating very little, controlling the breath. Here it goes into details what that looks like. Eating roots and berries, berries and fruits every third day, and then eating roots he ate only every six days, and for his edibles, he took dry grass and leaves. And then in the third month, drinking only water every nine days. So this yoga system, practically impossible 
And what's interesting in this verse, as well as we hear in the third canto, Kapila Dev describing Bhakti Yoga, we hear in the 11th canto, the mystic yoga process. They're actually really nice references, especially in an environment today where yoga has become very popular. We even see pictures of men and ladies, even in this asana that's being described, it's called Vrikshasana, tree pose. Dhruva sitting, standing on one leg. And people may feel proud that, wow, I stood in Vrikshasana for three minutes. You know, usually the teacher might, after a minute, say, okay, switch legs. And then maybe a person that's into yoga saying, look at this, I can do it for 10 minutes. I can balance myself for 10 minutes and even just do like within that 10 minutes, I can breathe once every 30 seconds and I'm doing some really serious yoga. That beginner over there can only stand, is wobbling. They're standing on their one leg and, and say, well, don't worry, if you do it long enough, you'll be able to balance yourself for 10 minutes. Well, even for that 10 minute per person that is looking like a stalwart asana practitioner, if we read this section to them, uh, they'll, look, they'll look very insignificant. Dhruva was standing only on one leg in this rikshashana, like a column without motion. And not only that, we're going to hear how his little toe, um, I believe so, was pushing down the earth. His breath control, his pranayama was suspending the airflow of, um, oh yeah, so the pressure of his big toe pushed down half the earth. Yeah, and then we're going to hear how his kumbhaka, this is another popular practice now with pranayama, there's all these, which is good. I'm not criticizing it. I'm not putting it down. It's become quite a trend now to do what's called breath retention. They're encouraging athletes and triathletes and all kinds of people and how to do underwater breathing. And they call it breath retention and breathe in, hold, and you know, tape up your mouth at night so you can breathe through your nose properly. And there's this whole thrill right now about the wonders of just proper breathing and even breath retention. In the yoga system, they call it kumbhaka, capturing the exhaling. Krishna speaks about it, the exhaling and the inhaling breath and having it coming to a standpoint. And so with Dhruva Maharaj, when he did that, uh, he actually suspended, choked the airflow uh, in the universe. So this, was, this is the kind of yoga that Dhruva performed. Now, with all that, What's really favorable about these verses is if we are connecting with people who are very attracted to yoga, who are interested in yoga and meditation, asanas, pranayama, we can share with them that, yeah, here's a person that did kumbhaka yoga like no one else. Here's a person, here's a young boy who did rikshasana. He did rikshasana and pranayama. He did fast, you know, there's, there's a, there, they also do this thing, restricted eating now, intermittent, intermittent fasting, where you take a meal and you wait for another six, eight hours. You don't eat anything in between. And then you eat at that time. And after two or four or seven, you know, at least like by sunrise, sunset, you don't eat anything for three hours before bed. Um, we can share with them. This person was, you know, living on air, breathitarian. Before that, eating roots and berries and dried leaves. And with all that, what was his sankalpa? What was his intention, his meditation? We hear here, we hear here. He completely controlled his senses and their objects 
And in this way, he fixed his mind without diversion to anything else upon the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Dhyayam Bhagavata. Dhyayam Bhagavata. Prabhupada actually in a lecture just this week, we listened to Prabhupada lectures while we're doing uh, our deity seva. And he said, how can you speak with just something impersonal? When you speak with someone, you're speaking with a person. You're interacting with a person. How do you just interact with, he even said like, how do you interact with water or the sky? And interesting in the Vedic paradigm, where there are personalities behind the sky and the water, but meaning just kind of like a nebulous, um, no defined form. How do you have communication? Just like right now, if I just talk to the, start talking to the air, it's most, more, more, like, more, more or less I'm just talking to myself. So communication means that there's a personality there. So here, similarly, he completely controlled his senses and their objects, and he was absorbed in dhyan. And what was that? Dhyan Bhagavata. Uh, dhyan, dhyan, dhyan Bhagavata Rupam. Na Adrakshi Kimshana. And you did not see anything else. So the beauty of these kind of verses is we can actually confidently, confidently share with people. And there's a beautiful section in the third canto, Kapila Muni, describing that one can sit in uh, sirasana or certain padmasana sitting posture control their breathing the inhaling the exhaling and then from there start to describe the beautiful feet of Vishnu and his waist and, and his girdle and the kostuba and the tulsi leaves and the bees and the gardens and that was like after the asana the, the um, sitting postures that the pranayam and then pratyahara dhyan and then going further into what are these yogis like Dhruva Maharaj, Kapila in the 11th canto, the various yogis described throughout the Bhagavatam, they're concentrating on Dhyayam Bhagavata Rupam, the form of the Lord. And we can confidently say this ancient system of yoga that people are attracted to, when they go to a yoga class, they, they're already understanding it. it's an ancient system. And we can share, actually, here are some references of how the ancient yogis even before this age, we're practicing yoga. That there was no, there was no, uh, there was, um, it wasn't that yoga stopped at asana and pranayama. So asana and pranayama is a nice intro. People like to get healthy. They like to do their breath control. And we can see it today. It's all over the whole trend of breathing exercises and asanas. And it comes in different forms, whether you call it yogi, yoga or Pilates, or there's all different kinds of um, exercise systems and different kinds of um, breathing exercise systems as well. And sure, it, it attracts people to self-care and well, wellness, etc. And then as bhaktas, we don't need to necessarily discourage them, deny them, shut them down. We can say this is really wonderful. And if you would be agreeable, uh, would you be interested to hear um, how the ancient, where the ancient yogis took their breathing and uh, physical exercise practice to? Would you like to hear what comes after that? And for a sincere practitioner, they'd be like, whoa, yeah, I want to hear about a five-year-old kid who spent six months in the forest and stood on his, you know, one leg in Vrikshashana for so long and so powerful that his toe pushed down the earth. Yeah, let me, let me hear what he did next. 
And then we can get into Dhyayam Bhagavata Rupam, that meditating on the transcendental form of the Lord. So like that. Now Prabhupada in this purport is referencing a verse in Bhagavad Gita. Um, I think we all know the, the reference. To try to do so is simply a waste of time for it is unnecessarily troublesome. So that word troublesome should give it away. Can anyone share what chapter uh, this comes up in? I'm sorry, Prabhu, can you repeat the, the question? Prabhupada's referencing a Bhagavad Gita verse. He doesn't give the exact number, but he's referencing a Gita verse about how this process of yoga, of, of trying to concentrate on the impersonal objective is, is, an unnecessarily, is unnecessarily troublesome and a waste of time. Yes, uh, the verse is there in Bhagavad Gita. This is my God, my memory. Okay, Bala, Bala just shared. Uh, 12.5. So we can go to 12.5 and appreciate this beautiful verse that Krishna speaks. So first in text four, Krishna says, but those who fully worship the unmanifested, that which lies beyond the perception of the senses, the all-pervading, inconceivable, unchanging, fixed, and immovable, the impersonal conception of the absolute truth, by controlling the very senses and being equally disposed to everyone, such persons engaged in the welfare of all at least achieve me. For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifested, impersonal feature of the Supreme, advancement is very troublesome. To make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So let's read this part of this purport here. The group of transcendentalists who follow the path of the inconceivable, unmanifested, impersonal feature of the Supreme Lord are called jnana yogis. The persons who are in full Krishna consciousness engaged in devotional service to the Lord are called bhakti yogis. Now, here's the difference between jnana yoga and bhakti yoga is definitely expressed. The process of jnana yoga, although ultimately bringing one to the same goal, is very troublesome. Whereas the path of bhakti yoga, the process of being in direct service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is easier and is natural for the embodied soul. The individual soul is embodied since time immemorial. It is very difficult for him to simply theoretically understand that he's not the body. Therefore, the bhakti yogi accepts the deity of Krishna as worshipable because there are some bodily conception fixed in the mind, which can thus be applied. Of course, worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his form within the temple is not idol worship. There's evidence in the Vedic literature that worship may be saguna or nirguna, the Supreme possessing or not possessing attributes. Worship of the deity in the temple is saguna worship. The Lord is represented by material qualities. But the form of the Lord, although represented by material qualities such as stone, wood, or oil paint, is not actually material. That is the absolute nature of the Supreme Lord. A crude example may be given here. We may find some mailboxes on the street. And if we post our letters in those boxes, they will naturally go to their destination without difficulty. But any old box or an imitation which we may find somewhere, but which is not authorized by the post office will not do the work. Similarly, God has an authorized representation in the deity form, which is called the Archa Vigraha. This Archa Vigraha is an incarnation of the Supreme Lord. God will accept service through that form. The Lord is omnipotent, all-powerful. Therefore, by his incarnation as Archivigraha, 
he can accept the services of the devotee just to make it convenient for the man in conditioned life. So for a devotee, there's no difficulty in approaching the Supreme immediately and directly. But for those who are following the impersonal way to spiritual realization, the path is difficult. They have to understand the unmanifested representation of the Supreme through such Vedic literatures as the Upanishads. And they have to learn the language, understand the non-perceptual feelings, and realize all these processes. This is not very easy for a common man. A person in Krishna consciousness engaged in devotional service simply by the guidance of the bona fide spiritual master, simply by offering regulative obeisances unto the deity, simply by hearing the glories of the Lord, and simply by eating the remnants of foodstuffs offered to the Lord, realizes the Supreme Personality of Godhead very easily. There's no doubt that the impersonalists are unnecessarily taking a troublesome path with the risk of not realizing the absolute truth at the ultimate end. The personalist, without any risk, trouble or difficulty, approaches the Supreme Personality directly. A similar passage appears in the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is stated there that if one ultimately has to surrender into the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the surrendering process called bhakti, but instead takes the trouble to understand what is Brahman and what is not Brahman and spends his whole life in that way, the result is simply troublesome. Therefore, it is, it is advised here that one should not take up this troublesome path of self-realization because there is uncertainty in the ultimate result. A living entity is eternally an individual soul, and if he wants to merge into the spiritual whole, he may accomplish the realization of the eternal and knowledgeable aspects of his original nature. But the blissful portion is not realized. By the grace of some devotee, such a transcendentalist, highly learned in the process of jnana yoga, may come to the point of bhakti yoga, or devotional service. At that time, long practice in impersonalism also becomes a source of trouble because he cannot give up the idea. Therefore, an embodied soul is always in difficulty with the unmanifest, both at the time of practice and at the time of realization. Every living soul is partially independent, and one should know for certain that this unmanifested realization is against the nat nature of his spiritual blissful self. One should not take up this process. For every individual living entity, the process of Krishna consciousness, which entails full engagement in devotional service, is the best way. If one wants to ignore this devotional service, there's the danger of turning to atheism. Thus, the process of centering attention on the unmanifested, inconceivable, which is beyond the approach of the senses, as already expressed in this verse, should never be encouraged at any time, especially in this age. It, it is not advised by Lord Krishna. And then the following verse, he says, but those who worship me, giving up all their activities unto me, and being devoted to me without deviation, engage in devotional service and always meditating upon me, having fixed their minds upon me, O Prita, son of Prita, for them I'm the swift deliverer from the ocean of birth and death. Prabhupada also gives references of, you know, Mayavadis are impersonalist. And he says they're so-called absorbed in Brahman, but then there's a sense of unfulfilled, they're not fulfilled, a lack of fulfillment and satisfaction. And then we see they go back to, um, maybe opening hospitals and schools, some kind of philanthropy to get some rasa, to feel some pleasure of doing good to others, which is not wrong in itself. At the same time, if they were on the platform of, you know, Brahman realization, how is it that they're not feeling complete? And then they, they're, they're feeling this kind of need to still uh, do something such as some type of philanthropy work. Um, 
in the seventh chapter, in the verse Rasuhamapsukunteya Prabhashvisasusuriyo, Prabhupada says that there's no, there's no difficulty between the personalist and the impersonalist. And there's a sentence here I'd just like to review. He says here, Uh, one who knows God knows that the impersonal conception and the personal conception are simultaneously present in everything and that there is no contradiction. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya established the sublime doctrine of Chinta Beta Beta Tava simultaneously one indifference. The light of the sun and the moon is originally emanating from the Brahma Jyoti, which is the impersonal effulgence of the Lord. The Pranava or the Omkar, transcendental sound in the beginning of every Vedic hymn, addresses the Supreme Lord. Because the impersonalists are very much afraid of addressing the Supreme Lord, Krishna, by his innumerable names, they prefer to vibrate the transcendental sound, Omkar. They do not realize that Omkar is the sound representation of Krishna. The jurisdiction of Krishna consciousness extends everywhere. And one who knows Krishna consciousness is blessed. Those who do not know Krishna are an illusion. So knowledge of Krishna's liberation, the ignorance of his bondage. So just wanted to go through that purpose since Prabhupada referenced it here and how troublesome it is and the risk and the, the riskiness also of taking this, this path uh, as Prabhupada references one may take to this path and then fall away from it and then get into some kind of mundane philanthropy um, also another just another um, obstacle can be that from doing the pranayama and the asana practices and even getting to, you know, Pratyahara and Dhyan, just like Hiranyakashipu or Ravana. You know, Ravana was Brahmachari for 10,000 years. Hiranyakashipu stood on his toes. He did an asana that no one can do, actually. And they got a lot of powers. So one may not necessarily become a Ravana or Hiranyakashipu. However, by doing yoga asanas, pranayama, going into meditation, uh, it's possible that certain siddhis or even a certain feeling of hey i'm really feeling like empowered now i'm in the mode of goodness i can see clearly now um everything seems to really be going boy i even feel like i'm starting to like manifest things like i've got some shakti and you know i can even like kind of read into others and what can start happening is you can imagine imagine doing vrikshasana and and pranayama and you suspend the airflow in the universe and the pushing of your toe pushes down the earth easily one can start thinking wow i've got some power i've got some power and uh that could actually be a great obstruction from progressing further it can be very risky or one's not able to perform it perfectly and then one gives up the practice again and we see you know sabari muni we see uh, vishramitra we see these different personalities who are doing high advanced levels of yoga. I mean, meditating in the water and imagine doing, imagine going to a yoga class without scuba gear in the water. You know, we watch, we watch people train underwater and they can hold their breath for, you know, three, four minutes. And we're like, wow. And they're doing some incredible physical manipulation of breath. Imagine Sobar Muni meditating in the water and then, you know, due to Aparad and then, you know, observing the mating of some fish, he just got completely bewildered and gave up his practice. So Prabhupada 
gives us the encouragement that this bhakti yoga practice is very simple. In a lecture just the other day, I'm listening to second canto, second chapter lectures. He said, he's giving class on Karmaniya Vidikaraste. And he said to meditate for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, even that's quite challenging. Whereas in bhakti, we wake up and there's connection with the deities. And he said, even after all one's deity worship and one goes to work, because he said that's the standard. One would worship the deity traditionally. He said God's room. You would go to God's room and chant some mantras, wake the deities, serve them breakfast. And then one would have breakfast and go to work. And then he said, even by going to work, one is making money uh, so that they can you know, serve Krishna. And even they need to get food for themselves. And but basically when they're going shopping, they're thinking, how can I get this nice food stuffs for my Ishta day, for my deity? And then I will eat this and stay healthy so that I can continue to serve Krishna. So he said in whenever, whatever Varna or Ashram one is in, in the bhakti process, uh, one can be absorbed actually throughout the day, even while one is working, knowing that that's actually a connection uh, to their service because it takes a certain kind of, it takes certain supplies and materials uh, to worship the deities. So a person's going to work, then they buy foodstuffs and ingredients so that they can cook, offer to the deity, and then as Prabhupada says, this is a very simple process. Krishna has come in this Archa Vigraha, this incarnation in the deity form, so that we can have this absorption. Grow a garden, as Prabhupada says, plant Tulsi. So there's such, it's such a simple uh, preferred way, especially as Prabhupada says, in this age. Nonetheless, um, if we do, if we, well, we will inevitably meet people because again, the, yoga culture involving asana and pranayama, healthy eating, self-care. Uh, these things are becoming very popular now. You know, there's talk shows about it. So as devotees, as Vaishnav bhaktas, uh, we don't necessarily need to condemn it or saying this is just superficial. You guys are just doing this to get some powers. You're ignoring, you know, you're ignoring the source. You're ignoring Krishna. You're neglecting Krishna. You're trying to be all like, in control of like your body and your breath and perform nice asanas so you can look healthy. Um, instead of necessarily condemning it, we could actually accommodate those who have some sincerity, who have a tinge of sincerity. Sincerity. They may be entering into the yoga practices with those agendas. And then we can say, well, if we can, if with your permission, uh, we can share with you where these ancient yogis took their yoga practice to. And then a few, some may say, oh, I'm not into it. I'm just, I just want to learn how to breathe well and do some stretching. Then others will be like, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea that yoga meant that there's Dhyayam Bhagavata Rupa, that actually that the higher stage of yoga means you're meditating on the Supreme Lord. And wow, what a description these yogis are giving. I didn't know that. I'd like to learn more about it. Or, you know, they read Bhagavad Gita. And they hear about Arjuna's struggles with even hearing about the Ashtanga yoga process and how his mind's very chanchala and flickering and disturbing and very, very difficult to control. And, and, uh, and then Krishna gives him the process in the 12th chapter. He gives him the process even in the 7th chapter. Prabhupada actually says, what is the difficulty? This bhakti yoga process is so simple. Just by drinking water or by seeing the light of the sun, one remembers Krishna. What is the difficulty? In fact, on the Gaur Pranim lecture, Prabhupada in, in 1970, early 70s, 
process. This process is so simple. You drink water and you remember Krishna. And if you drink water and you don't remember Krishna, then that you one is an animal. <laughs> Prophet said, if one drinks water and doesn't remember God, how this is coming from God, then one is no better than an animal in the sense that animals drink water and eat. But the animal isn't drinking water and thinking, saying, Rasohamap Sukunteya. It's just, it's just their you know, bodily need. So if we're drinking water and then not taking that moment of expressing our gratitude to Krishna, then he said, one is animal, and if one remembers Krishna, then that is human. <laughs> so the bhakti process is so simple that even by drinking water and seeing the light of the sun, one can uh, become very uh, recognized as a serious practitioner in yoga without going through all the troublesome uh, disciplines of the path of impersonalism. Okay, those are a few reflections. It's uh, 8.43. Maybe devotees have some further references or reflections, questions uh, on this wonderful section. It's a very thrilling section, hearing of Dhruva Marj's intense discipline and austerities. When I, when I read these, it kind of, um, yeah, it fires me up. I, I, wanna, I wanna be like, I wanna be serious in my practice, even with the, dis you hear these disciplines and like, wow, I wanna, I wanna be more regulated in my eating and disciplined in my sadhana and uh, deeper in my appreciation of the Archa Vigraha um, and not getting diverted to other things, you know, having, you know, being Dridavrata, being Dridavrata in one's uh, practice, you know, engaging with great determination. So very, very refreshing and enlivening verses. And, uh, and then even, even if, you know, I, I have, I do some asana practice every day and appreciating how well, the culmination of all this is to uh, have a sankalpa of Dhyayam Bhagavata Rupa, meditating on the form of the Lord. So yeah, very refreshing verses and Om Tat Sat Hare Krishna. Tushta Prabhu? I have a question, but there's a question on the chat box from Tara Lebu Elliot. Oh, let's see here. Yeah, there's a question. That's from Facebook. Tara. Oh, from Facebook. Yeah. From Tara. Hare Krishna. So many shlokas say that one's meditation should be upon Lord Vishnu as a four-armed Lord Narayan Paramatma form. But so many of Srila Prabhupada's books say that it is best to imagine the form of Krishna two-armed with his flute. Can you please tell me which is best? I know it isn't contradictory, but it sometimes seems that way. Thank you very much. Nice, Quite, very nice question. Yeah, we'll see throughout the Bhagavatam, especially before the 10th canto, uh, Dhruva Maharaj will hear um, descriptions in the third canto about the beautiful form of Vishnu. And I'll just share a reference and maybe other devotees can share. Um, yeah, there is no contradiction. And at the same time, as far as, uh, let's see here, gosh, if, if Samyaprasa or Balaprabhu in 11th chapter Bhagavad Gita, if you can show me a show me a Vapu um, after Arjuna, Anyone can say it while I'm looking here about Arjuna. Oh, here we go. All right, found it. Sandhya said, 
The Supreme Personality of God, Krishna, having spoken thus to Arjuna, displayed his real four-armed form, and at last his two-armed form, thus encouraging the fearful Arjuna. This is chapter 11 of Bhagavad Gita, text 50. When Krishna appeared as a son of Vasudeva and Devaki, his first of all, he first of all appeared as a four-armed Narayan, but when he was requested by his parents, he transformed himself into an ordinary child in appearance. Similarly, Krishna knew that Arjuna was not interested in seeing a four-handed form, but since Arjuna asked to see his four-handed form, Krishna also showed him this form again and then showed himself in his two-handed form. The word Somyavapu is very significant. Somyavapu is a very beautiful form. It is known as the most beautiful form. When he was present, everyone is attracted simply by Krishna's form. And because Krishna is a director of the universe, he just banished the fear of Arjuna. His devotee and showed him again his beautiful form of Krishna. In Brahma Samhita, it is stated, Premanjana Charita Bhakti Vilochanena, only a person whose eyes are smeared with the ointment of love can see the beautiful form of Krishna. So, yes, there's no contradiction. Um, it's, not, it's not like a mundane gradation of so called a beautiful form. Like it, this is a transcendental, this is involving. Uh, Individual, individuality and rasa. Just like the gopis, when they met Narayan, they were looking for Krishna and they were like, Om Namo, you know, they were like, Namaste Narayan. <laughs> they were offering their pranams. Have you seen Krishna? And um, and then there's another pastime. Again, I, I, I just, it, I have to get some more reference. But um, when, uh, when Krishna came in the presence of Radha, he was in the Vishnu form, is that correct, Bala? And then he just couldn't keep his Vishnu, somehow he has two arms. Yes, okay. Hey, Bala, could you, could you, uh, go, can you go on unmute and give that reference? Because I think you would give it a little bit more clearly with your memory and remembrance of the Leela. Um, it, yeah, it's like you were, saying Prabhu that the gopis, they were searching for Krishna and Krishna actually took the form of Lord Narayan to hide from them. And then the gopis, like you said, bowed down to him and said, oh, we offer our pranams, Lord Narayan, have you seen Krishna? And then he said, oh, I think he went this way. But then when Srimati Radharani came up, he was unable to keep his forearm form and he dropped two arms and then revealed himself because of her love, her intense love to reveal that. Very nice. So we can see from these references in our, uh, you know, in our Gaudiya, Siddhanta and Tattva, we can also see in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the dialogue between, <clears throat> is it Venkata Bhatta and Lord Chaitanya? <clears throat> I, I believe so. And yes. how and how even Lakshmi couldn't enter into, even Lakshmi is like, oh my goodness, these gopis, they're carrying cow dung and walking barefoot. And she wasn't able to enter into that realm of Braj, of, of, of the Braj Basis. So again, it's not that, for example, even in our deity worship, we're not just going up and saying, hey, Haribo Krishna, breakfast time, here's some, you know, here's a little snack for you. And and uh, see you in a few hours, and and then uh, oh, I forgot forgot your lunch today. Um, I'll catch I'll catch catch up with you for dinner. No, we're not we're not like interacting with the deities like that. You know, 
it's like, well, if someone doesn't wake the deities or someone doesn't come for Raj Bhog or someone doesn't, it's, we hear it, right? And we feel the weight of committing some neglect. So our deity worship is done in the mood of Aishvarya, in the mood of worshiping Lakshmi Narayan. At the same time, on the deity, we have beautiful Shamasundar Govinda playing his flute, Tribanga, in his threefold bending form. Uh, we have Radha Govinda of Vrindavan. We're worshiping them in the mood of Lakshmi Narayan. So the beauty of what we've been given by Lord Chaitanya is along with the Aishvarya, which means the kind of majestic reverence, uh, Lord Chaitanya has come and his associates have shown, just like Balas was speaking about Madhavanjapuri, of, of the various rasas like the Madhurya, the sweetness of Krishna. And Prabhupada even, he shared with us in Krishna book, he, he gave us this, he gave us this tattva in conception. Uh, after the ninth canto, there's 10th canto, there's the pastimes of Krishna, descriptions of Krishna's beautiful form, his tree banga, his wearing a peacock feather, his relationship with the gopas and the gopis. Um, and even as we were referencing how the gopis are asking Narayan, you know, have you seen Krishna? And then even in Bhagavad Gita, we see some hint of it where Arjuna, he was fearful and he had darshan of the forearm, the, the Aishvarya form. And then he just wanted to see his Sakya. He said, I just want to see my friend, my beautiful friend Krishna in his two-arm form again, the chariot partasarati in his two-arm feature, that beautiful form. So as you were mentioning, Tara, yeah, there's no contradiction. And we do hear of this. And, um, and there is no fault if one is attracted to the Narayan feature. At the same time, as we practice our bhakti sadhana under the guidance of our acharyas, of the six Goswamis of Lord Chaitanya, there will most likely be a natural awakening uh, to experience the, um, you can say, higher flavor of the attraction to um, this Samyavapu, this two-armed Tribanga Shamasundar Krishna, as, as who Lord Chaitanya is worshiping. And, and at the same time, no contradiction, right? We, we hear the beautiful form that Dhruva Maharaj has darshan of, of Vishnu. It's not that we ignore that, like, oh, who cares about that form? No, this is, this is beautiful Vishnu. You know, this is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So many times we'll hear that properly say Vishnu or Krishna. So this goes into, you know, the evolution of the individual practitioner in relationship to Rasa and their relationship with Krishna. Yeah, thanks for that nice question. Is there another uh, one? Hare Krishna? Yeah, Vijay Krishna Prabhu, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu, uh, uh, I have a question, but if a senior devotee wants to go first, I can wait. Oh, yeah, please, please go ahead. Okay, so, um, uh, Tushta Prabhu, please accept my humble obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Thank you for your amazing class as usual. Wonderful class. And my question is related to the purpose of, of the seventh. Um, seventh verse where we where I find uh, the purport saying and I quote um, one has to fix one's mind upon the form of the supreme personality of Godhead without diversion to any other objective end quote 
So um, as, a, as a brief introduction to my question, I need to say the following. Um, um, uh, in relation to meditation and fixing the mind, we have the help of the morning program and the evening program. Uh, but uh, during the day, while we are um, engaged in activities in order for us to, amongst other objectives, uh, raise largely for the maintenance of body and soul together, uh, sometimes, for example, we are driving a car. And my question is, how, and you know better than me that that to drive a car in accordance with uh, the popular saying, please drive safe. Um, we need to use total concentration while driving. So um, although you gave uh, during your lecture examples like uh, drinking water uh, and while drinking water then uh, in accordance with the bhakti process, it's easy to, to remember Krishna. Um, my question is, how is it possible for a, a driver of a car to fix his mind on Krishna while driving when we need full attention for the driving process? Yeah. Prabhupada actually expressed concern when devotees weren't driving carefully if they were too tired and there were some accidents, even some devotees, there's um, instances where devotees left the, the traveling devotees left a gas stove on and I think suffocated, they, they got poisoned because there was no airflow, there was no window cracked because the stove was left on. So yeah, your question about how do we fully concentrate while we're driving or maybe while we're you know, doing an activity that takes a certain kind of intensity of concentration. Yeah. Um, I believe Prabhupada, Jayananda used to just be, while, while he was driving taxi, he would be chanting. And I, I believe it's a reference. I, I can't say for sure, that, but the gist of it is Prabhupada is appreciating how Jayananda would always be uh, chanting Krishna's name. So not that while we're driving, we're like, you know, just closing our eyes and just swooning to the kirtan. We may be chanting. And then Prabhupada would also reference Arjuna. Um, and this relates to a, a, a comment I heard from, I believe, Advaita Balaprabhu. Who's the devotee that did the Patanjali Yoga Sutra? Um, Advaita. Is it Advaita? What was it? He's a scholar, Vaishnava. Um, can't recall his name right. Is it Advaita? Anyhow, this um, one of our one of our scholarly Vaishnavas was uh, giving a talk, and he said, "Bhagavad Gita is like from nine to five, right? We have our morning program. The Bhagavad Gita is he, he basically said, Bhagavad Gita is very applicable for the nine to five stretch, meaning how to work without detachment, how to conduct oneself in kind of." so-called worldly situation. So you, like Arjuna, Prabhupada, he gives, Arjuna was on the battlefield, you know, saying, I got to finish my rounds. Um, I got to do my, you know, meditation and practice. He was fully concentrating on how to shoot that Gandiva bow. Bhima was fully focused on how to wield his club. Nakula and Sahadev, their swords. Yudhishthir was 
fully absorbed in how to like fight with his spear. Um, yeah, they were very, very uh, attentive to the details and they would train very carefully, even at night, Arjuna's Gura Kesh. And so it's all encompassing, meaning that he was being an instrument for Krishna. This is one perspective that the fact that, let's say you get up early, we do your morning sadhana, just like these chachyas, they, I'm sure they had some kind of morning sadhana, puja, even with their weapons. They have those few hours. And then when the battle starts at, sun, at sunrise, Arjuna is just moving as an instrument of Krishna. It's not that while he's shooting that, okay, okay, I'm a devotee. And he's, he's doing Krishna's will. So whether we're going to the grocery store, while we're driving that car, if we have that absorption, especially with our morning sadhana, then naturally what will happen is there'll be, there'll be kind of this whole self immersion in just being in Krishna consciousness while driving the car, while going into the store, while bagging one's groceries, while folding the laundry. Now we're driving, you know, folding laundry, washing dishes, you can put a lecture on, you can put a kirtan on. And for me, actually, honestly, my best hearing is if I'm, because I, 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 I can absorb better if I'm like doing something like dishes and laundry are like no brainer. So I actually can listen to a lecture and get more out of it than if I were just to sit and listen to a lecture without doing some activity. Now with driving, I usually put like a lecture on or some kirtans on, or I, I put some past, simple pastimes that, are, that don't take too much, concept, you know, just to hear some leela. So even driving becomes a good time, you know, 20 minutes I can get a lecture in or a pastime in or some nice kirtans in, or I, I put shlokas on. I put shlokas on and just, you know, try to learn shlokas. And uh, at the same time, if, if that's distracting for one, then one can just turn off everything and just quietly chant Maha Mantra while one is being attentive um, to their driving um, skills. And even if that's challenging, then just fully engage your concentration on driving like Arjuna. Uh, while he wasn't memorizing shlokas while he was fighting, I'm sure. And I'm sure he wasn't, thinking of different pastimes of Krishna, he was like with his Gandiva, enemies were coming. He had to figure out how to maneuver the maneuver and direct Krishna on the chariot, tapping him with his right and left foot to turn right and left. And uh, that was all part of his Krishna consciousness because he was doing Krishna's will. It, there was no separation of that. So similarly for a devotee, they might have their morning sadhana and then at nine they go to work. It's not that that's any separate, it's a continuation. And that's why Bhagavad Gita is so vital because it shows us how the nine to five is also um, completely valid and whole part of our Krishna consciousness. Maybe you have some further. Maybe you, oh, you no. have some. No, 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 no. Thank you for your. Uh, well, I have no adjective to qualify it. Wonderful, very, very helpful uh, answer. And Prabhu, I liked it when you said uh, that um, a devotee said that. Uh, Bhagavad Gita as it is is also meant for the nine to five period of the day. Uh, what's the name of the devotee? Um, Bala Prabhu, is, is it Advaita? Advaita Das? The, the scholar, no? Yeah, Shamya or Bala Prabhu, is, is it Advaita Das? I'm pretty it, sure it's Advaita Das. Yeah, Advaita, right? Yeah, he, he did a commentary in, in the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, and um, he's part of various, like, kind of, you know, devotee scholars. He spoke on uh, Wisdom of the Sages with 
uh, Raghu Prabhu and, and Kostuba Prabhu. So he was just sharing how it, Bhagavad Gita is very much for those kind of in the world. Also, there's elements, of course, there that are for, you know, meditation and absorption in our sadhana. Oh, yeah, Edwin. Oh. Yeah, Edwin F. Bryant, Advaita Das. Yes. Uh, uh... Um, uh, uh, Prabhu, uh, thank you, Balgopal Prabhu. Tushta Prabhu, uh, a very, very, very helpful answer. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Okay, anyone else while they're driving? Just what they do, do how they how they stay uh, without diversion to anything else, um, even while taking part in kind of worldly duties and activities like driving or. Any other reflections or anything else from this verse before we close? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you. Hare Krishna Mahajra. Hare Krishna obeisances. So, um, it, does it uh, take a, a certain amount of practice to, um, to do all these things like um, drive like that and uh, just like any yoga practice it takes um, takes time takes practice to do all these things um, would we want to um, um, advise younger practitioners maybe not to be so diverted or how how do we um, how do we advise uh, the different levels of devotees because uh, it seems like for um, like you're saying for some just you know drive the chariot or something you know <laughs> so it seems like there's like different levels of how much you can um try to practice without getting distracted um from the practical service at hand yet at the same time you don't want to be just doing the service without krishna consciousness so how do you do that my experience, Mother Nidra, maybe you can share. The more I'm absorbed, especially in my, you know, sadhana in the morning, and if I if I rest, it, it all starts from you know getting the getting proper rest, you know, not eating too much, not eating too little, not sleeping too much, not sleeping too little, attentive japa, um, an attentive absorption in service of the Vaishnavas and the deities. Then I find myself much more, even physically and mentally, how I move, you know, whether I'm cutting some vegetables, whether I'm, you know, walking out the door, getting my bag together, whatever I do, getting into a car, there's, there's, there's more, I mean, like Srila Prabhupada, even they say how he held a cup of water and drank it was just so elegant and how Prabhupada would move. And even if Prabhupada had to like, you know, uh, maybe scratch his nose or something just even his finger gestures everything was just so elegant and uh, attentive and gentlemanly how he sat how he dressed how he ate how he walked in and out of a door um, how he took his walks got into a car so yeah this is just uh, he's he's a vaikuntha man <laughs> or Srila Prabhupada would say that of his spiritual master what can I say he's a vaikuntha man and as you're saying, for ourselves, um, for ourselves, um, I have an experience. I remember when I was driving uh, Radha Swami from San Francisco to LA, and we were talking about college preaching, and he was sharing about the rainbow gatherings, and I started to ask all these questions. And then 
uh, while, quote, quote unquote, while I was absorbed and, you know, kind of appreciating Mara sharing about the preaching at the rainbow gatherings and how he developed the college preaching in the Midwest, um, we got lost. And I couldn't figure out how to get to Highway 1 because we were on the way to Giriraj Swami's ashram. So we were coming out of San Luis Obispo and it's like, oh my gosh, how do I get back onto Highway 101 to get to the one? And we were kind of going in circles and then Marge got very heavy. He said, stop talking and just drive. Just stop talking and just drive. And one can say, we're not just talking, we're discussing, you know, the sannyasi is talking about preaching and I'm inquiring and this is like Krishna consciousness. And he just like, he said, you're lost, stop talking and drive. <laughs> I said, yes, Maharaj. And, uh, and then we got back. So then I pulled over, got to a gas station, jumped out of the van, asked the attendant, you know, how do I get back to Highway 1? And then, you know, within 20 minutes, we were back on track. So uh, I just bring that up in the sense that um, in the name of so-called being absorption and relishing, we may actually get distracted from doing our service properly. So therefore, in the beginning stages, um, it's good to be, just be very attentive and it's good to practice just, yeah, practical attention to what we're doing. I remember, like with Ganapati Swami, I remember, you know, cooking in his camper and if the drawer wasn't closed all the way, he would say, where's your mind? You know, where's your consciousness? You just, you left the drawer open. It was like, it was shut, but it wasn't like fully shut. And he said, if this, if you do this and then I drive off, guess what happens? All the spoons fall out when I take a turn. So, um, yeah, there's a certain sense of like this practicing common sense, attentiveness, practicality. And so uh, even, even in whatever stage we're in, maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked if others have from, if you have further thoughts, Mother Nidra, basically what I'm trying to say is uh, in whatever stage we're in, especially in the beginning stages, yes, we need to put that kind of extra effort to be attentive. And as we mature more and more and more, there'll be a certain spontaneity in how we move and function. And if there is gaps, then usually we'll either be with our spiritual master or a sadhu or a spouse or kids. They'll remind us. I can attest to that. They'll say, hey, the cupboard's not closed or the door's not shut all the way or you forgot to lock the door or you left this here. And so by association with devotees, uh, it helps refine our behavior and even our modality. And as we practice more and more and more, then yeah, the attentiveness will be there, the self-discipline will be there. Anyways, uh, those are a few thoughts here. Brenda, you had something? Okay, it's 9 oh, oh, 9.09. So uh, is that okay, Mother Nidra? Anything from your side? Because you've been such a steady practitioner and attentive to details and very refined in how you move uh, on all levels. Any reflections from you regarding your question? Oh, thanks a lot, Prabhu. That was really nice. Yeah, I really like uh, reminders from uh, devotees, like you say, the association, you, you know, you get, <laughs> you get their reminders. That's one of my favorite things. And I just see that, um, you know, time, place, and circumstance, sometimes you're just like, you just really got to be really practical and fully, you know, um, thinking about, you know, what you're doing, like Arjuna with the bow. Um, and other times, um, like you're saying, maybe the spontaneity is a little bit easier. 
So it seems to, you know, vary according to the, perhaps the circumstance like that for, for, for at least for me. <laughs> thank you. Okay. okay. Well, thank you, Prabhu. And we look forward to hearing more of these verses. Um, oh, somehow it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reminders are, reminders are there. Okay, thank you, Prabhu's. Have a wonderful day in Krishna consciousness. It's nine o'clock. You too, Sushta uh, Prabhu. Thank you for another matchless gift. Uh, may we all stay absorbed. And uh, as Vijay Krishna Prabhu regularly refers, may we appreciate the early morning hours of the first slice of bread. Now we get into our day's activities. And then hopefully we all make sure we put that a uh, second piece of bread on top at the end of the day with some kind of evening sadhana and practice. So thank you for those nice rem reminders, Vijay Prabhu. Oh, um, you're welcome. You're welcome. You are very welcome. Prantara Shumad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Ki Jai. Jai. Sri Charita Ki Jai. Jai. Krishna Das Prabhu.